Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit it's episode number two of the Sacramento Kings podcast presented by hoopball.com. I am Damian Barling, and I thank you so much for listening, downloading, and streaming. Hopefully, you subscribed as well, no matter where you're at, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeart, Spotify. We're available everywhere that you find podcasts and most of all, thank you so much for making the first episode of this new version of the Sacramento Kings podcast a massive success. Your support and passion for your team is undying, and it showed with the launch of this podcast. And for those of you coming over from my daily sports show, creatively titled The Podcast with Damian Barling, I can't thank you enough for continuing to support my various projects here. And if you're looking for daily sports talk that goes outside the realms of the Sacramento Kings, make sure you search Damian Barling or the podcast with Damian Barling and whatever uh, podcast or streaming platform you're listening to this one on. Give it a listen. Post something new uh, each and every single day. I'm excited about today's show. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, I had something planned and still have it planned. We're going to talk about it. The, the new additions to the Sacramento Kings and Perhaps how we looked at them collectively and thought maybe the Sacramento Kings are making a commitment to defense here. And I want to pump the brakes on that just a little bit. I don't want to poo-poo on it. I just want to pump the brakes on it a little bit. We'll also talk about the uh, disastrous first day of practice for USA Basketball uh, down in Los Angeles and what that means uh, for your Sacramento Kings, De'Aaron Fox and Harrison Barnes. Spoiler alert, it doesn't mean anything. But we're going to start with uh, a story that's been breaking over the course of the last couple of days a former Sacramento King, uh, DeMarcus Cousins. He tore his ACL while working out in Los Angeles, uh, excuse me, in Las Vegas on Monday. And I guess what happened, I, you know, Adrian Wojnarowski put out a tweet that said uh, DeMarcus Cousins was injured uh, while working out in Las Vegas on Monday. And he put this out, I think it was Wednesday night or Thursday morning. And you're kind of looking at that like, okay. I don't feel like Woj knows about this if the injury isn't serious. There must be some concern that this injury is bad. And I feel like he posted that tweet Thursday morning, and it was just a couple of hours later uh, that Shams confirmed, and obviously several reporters confirmed after that, uh, that the Los Angeles Lakers feared uh, DeMarcus Cousins had tore his ACL. They were going to get an MRI to confirm it, but the belief now is DeMarcus Cousins is going to miss the upcoming 2019-20 season. Now, I understand having covered DeMarcus DeMarcus for the last three years, what a polarizing player that he is. Uh, I understand there is no middle ground when it comes to DeMarcus Cousins. You love him or you hate him. I have yet to met a single Sacramento Kings fan, or really a sports fan for that matter, that is indifferent on DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, There's a lot to love about him. Uh, His detractors will say there's a lot to hate about him, and I don't mind coming across to Kings fans or or sports fans in general who don't like DeMarcus Cousins. I can always tell when I'm having a conversation with them or when they're calling into the radio show that I used to host, whether they whether they have formed their opinion on their own or they're just regurgitating stuff that was stated by a high-profile Sacramento Kings employee. And 
it's it's okay no matter how you feel about DeMarcus Cousins, no matter how you feel about his temperament, no matter how you feel about him on the court, it's fine. You're absolutely 1,000% entitled to your own opinion, assuming, of course, it is your own opinion. You are entitled to that. What I would say about this is that I would hope Kings fans or Pelicans fans or Warriors fans are sympathetic to the man that is DeMarcus Cousins and the basketball player who over the last 19 months has suffered some brutal injuries. I mean, you, in the span of 19 months, you have an Achilles tear, which is, you know, the kiss of death in the NBA comes back, fights his way back. He's on the golden state warriors. They're playing into the playoffs. He plays in his first NBA playoff game in his entire career and then tears his quad fights to come back from his torn quad to be available for the NBA finals. And don't let the fact that the Toronto Raptors won the NBA Finals change the very real scenario that took place. The Warriors were outplayed in the two games that they won. DeMarcus Cousins is the reason that the Golden State Warriors won those two games. When you go back, his numbers, they're nothing to write home about. His numbers aren't even a a fraction of what he produced as a Sacramento King in those NBA Finals. But the timing of his baskets couldn't have been more valuable. The timing of his baskets, the timing of his defensive stops, and he doesn't make a lot of defensive stops, but he made them what he had to in the NBA Finals. They're, they're, he's the reason that, that the Warriors won those two games. Now, I don't know how things went with DeMarcus in Golden State. I think Golden State is a top-class organization, and if they have issues on their roster, they're going to keep them in-house. We haven't heard a single negative thing about DeMarcus Cousins coming out of that camp. As a matter of fact, or excuse me, coming out of that, uh, coming off of his year uh, with the Sacramento Kings. As a matter of fact, we heard uh, his coach from last year, Steve Kerr, uh, he addressed DeMarcus Cousins' injury today at USA Basketball. I saw it. I saw it. I'm devastated for DeMarcus. I I read it on the way to practice, and, um, you know, it's been a couple years of hell for DeMarcus. with the injury, first the Achilles, and then last year in the finals, and uh, you know with the, the quad, and uh, or in the playoffs, I should say. And I was really hoping that this would be a year for him upcoming with the Lakers, where he could get healthy, get his rhythm, get his conditioning, and, and uh, you know really start his his comeback. And uh, so we're all we're all crushed for him. Everybody in this gym, all these fellow players and coaches um, you know this is a small community and so we, everybody's been talking about it and uh, we've all reached out to him and we all just feel feel terrible for him Steve, you- again Steve Kerr saw, uh, coach of the Golden it. State Warriors for- uh, as he continues there uh, Steve Kerr head coach of the Golden State Warriors uh, talking about DeMarcus Cousins today at USA Basketball pack- Practice he talked about the sentiments being echoed by a number of players there including uh, a guy he thought he was going to play with this year on the Los Angeles Lakers, Kyle Kuzma. No joke when you get injured. You know, this is our livelihood and, you know, something that we love to do. You know, it's super unfortunate for a guy like DeMarcus because just tell how much he loves basketball. Through all his injuries, he's kind of fought back and tried to get back as early as possible. And, you know, that's how, kind of how the ball goes sometimes. You just never really know. And so you got to count your blessings and take it at that and be grateful. So that's Kyle Kuzma. What uh, the loss of DeMarcus Cousins means for the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, that's for a different podcast. Who Ball Lakers podcast, as a matter of fact, if you want to check that out, uh, if you want to find out what what the loss of DeMarcus Cousins means for them, you could check that out or it'll be discussed 
you know, on, on my daily sports podcast, but that's not what this conversation is for this conversation. Uh, and I wanted to lead this show with DeMarcus cousins because it's about, uh, he's a, he's, he was, he was a great player who just, I feel like I, I don't, I don't know where he goes from here. And forgive me for stammering a little bit because this 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 wasn't part of the rundown I put in. Is as we laid this show out, man, I had a lot of exciting things to talk to you about. And this Demarcus Cousins news came out, man, and I was just gutted because I don't know Demarcus Cousins personally. I can tell you this: I've never had a professional interaction with him. I've had multiple personal interactions with him, and they've all been great. They've all involved kids, uh, but they've all been great. But I don't know Demarcus Cousins personally. But being around basketball for as long as I have. I am, I am very, very sympathetic for him, man, and I couldn't feel, I just could not feel worse for him. When you heard him talking about uh, the quad injury, if you watched his sit down with Rachel Nichols and how he fought to come back and and to, uh, to play in the NBA Finals for for the Golden State Warriors, he he was he was broken off of that injury, and that injury wound up being a few months. He's looking at he's losing another season of his career, and now we're looking at a point where Demarcus Cousins is on year-to-year year year deals with a variety of different teams for close to league minimum for the remainder of his career. You know, from the moment Vlade Divac told Mark Stein that he wasn't going to trade DeMarcus Cousins, that DeMarcus Cousins was going to be a long-term uh, piece of the Sacramento Kings' future, and he looked at a contract that he said he was going to offer him in the vicinity of $207 million Supermax dollars, a week after he's traded to New Orleans, since then, DeMarcus Cousins has lost $199 million. From that statement to his most recent injury, he's lost $199 million that he's never going to recoup. Not only is he never going to recoup it, he's never going to recoup a fraction of it. And when I say lost, please understand the context in which I'm talking about. It was money that Vlade said he was going to offer that whether DeMarcus and his team counted it or not, I can't speak for. But it's money you hear, hey, you're going to get $200 million, you're going to get $200 million, and then suddenly you're not. Like There are so many people who have said, oh, DeMarcus Cousins, it'd be perfect if he came back to the Sacramento Kings. I don't think DeMarcus Cousins, it, before this injury, uh, after New Orleans, before the Lakers, before the Warriors, I don't think he was ever going to forgive uh, Vlade Divac for trading him. Or he was never going to forgive Vlade for uh, telling Mark Stein he wasn't and then trading him anyways. I think, I, I don't know how Vlade and the Sacramento Kings front office feel about DeMarcus, but I'm, I'm confident in the things I've heard about how DeMarcus feels about Vlade in the front office. So we'll head into uh, uh, current Sacramento Kings news now, but I did want to start this show uh, with DeMarcus Cousins because I, I know there are a lot of people, I know, that, I know there are a lot of Sacramento Kings fans that don't like him, and I completely understand that. I promise I do, but I know there are a lot of Sacramento Kings fans that absolutely love him, and no matter what happens in that man's career, he's going to remain a topic here within this fan base for, for years and years to come, and I wish him the best, man. I hope he can get healthy. I hope he can get well, and uh, you know, I hope he can return to, to playing at a high, high level. I hope he has that desire uh, to return and play at a high level. So we'll segue now and get into some of the things that I planned on talking about. Uh, I had I want to go back to something Aaron Bruski had said to us uh, on the first episode of the Sacramento Kings podcast here where he was talking about Luke Walton being a wild card. And we talked about the acquisitions uh, that came in and how they would fit with the, with the 
with really what is the core of the Sacramento Kings. And, you know, on the surface, we see Dwayne Dedman come in. We see Trevor Ariza come in. Obviously, the signing of Harrison Barnes or the re-signing of Harrison Barnes was the first order of business. And I think a lot of Kings fans expected that to happen. Uh, the Dwayne Dedman name and the act, that acquisition was that was a name that was talked about amongst Kings fans for a really, really long time. I think those were those those were two guys where they they got done and everyone was like, OK, we we, we thought that was going to happen. That's good stuff. Trevor Ariza was the one I don't think any of us saw coming. And Corey Joseph as well. And, uh, you know, there, there are some other names that we could talk about here. But when you look at the the collective free agency period, when you look at the collective signings, you can look at that and go, OK. The Sacramento Kings, they've made a commitment to defense because we know that Dwayne Dedman is an upgrade defensively. And we associate Trevor Ariza with defense. And those that know about Corey Joseph associate him with uh, grit, grind, hustle, all of that stuff. So looking at the Sacramento Kings last year, they gave up 115 points per game. Uh, That's good or bad for 26th in the league. You re-sign Harrison Barnes, and we kind of know what we've got with Harrison Barnes in the sense that we saw him here last year. And you know, you've got to believe he's he's going to come in, he's going to be more comfortable. Of course, going back to, you know, Bruski's words from episode 1, you know, Luke Walton is a wild card. We don't know how many changes he's going to make uh, that that Dave Yeager had kind of implemented here offensively or defensively. And what's worth pointing out when talking about Luke Walton and a front office's seeming commitment to defense is you know, I mentioned the Sacramento Kings gave up 115 points last year. Well, the Lakers gave up 113. Now, that Lakers team from last year is really difficult to judge because of uh, the injuries, because of the loss of LeBron James, and because of the fiasco that was the, the, the Anthony Davis trade rumors. But that was 21st in the league, giving up 113 points per game. The year before, they gave up 109. Now, why that might seem like it's better, that's actually 25th in the league. The year before that, they gave up 111. That's 28th in the league. So there's two ways that you can look at this. One, Luke Wallen can't coach defense. Or two, he's gotten better each year he's been in the league, which is statistically, it's true. 28, 25, 21st. And, you know, I looked at these acquisitions, and I want to start with Trevor Ariza because that's the one that seems to be the most glaring defensive acquisition. We know Trevor Ariza from from defense. Trevor Ariza's two most famous plays, unless I'm missing something, Trevor Ariza's two most famous plays as an NBA player are are defensive plays. 2009 Western Conference Finals, man. He seals game one and game three for the Los Angeles Lakers by stealing inbounds passes. But I feel like I need to repeat that one more time, and I'll say it slower. The 2009 Western Conference Finals. 2009? Man, that was 10 years ago. Trevor Ariza's two greatest plays as an NBA player were 10 years ago. Now, that doesn't mean, I mean, he was good for Houston. That doesn't mean he hasn't been a a quality NBA player or or perhaps a, a, a better than quality NBA player. And, I mean, in, in when evaluating Trevor Ariza and, and what he can do for the Sacramento Kings, we, we get to take numbers and ratings and, and contracts and all of that stuff out of it. And I'll just pose the question to you now. Are we sure that Trevor Ariza can still defend on a high level? 
He's been on nine teams. He's been on the Wizards twice. He's 34 years old. He played for a horrible Washington team last year. And as someone who watched a lot of Washington Wizards games last year, he's not the guy that he was in Los Angeles. And again, how can you expect him to be? It was 10 years ago. But there are other things to evaluate with Trevor Ariza. What he lacks in, you would hope, as a Kings fan, and what you're going to hope as a coaching staff, is what he lacks in athleticism at 34, he makes up in basketball IQ. Now, you go back and you watch those plays from 2009. He's got an incredible feel for the game. Like, he knows what's happening. He knows what's going on. He sees plays develop before they happen. I don't imagine that stuff goes away. I do wonder uh, if he can react in the same manner that he did back in 2009. History and Father Time would say, no, he can't. But this is where his teammates come into play. This is where the rest of the Sacramento Kings play. This is where the core of the Sacramento Kings come into play. They have to have a defensive scheme that will put guys like Dwayne Dedman and Marvin Bagley and Harry Giles, both of which who really did struggle last year defensively, which and maybe that's unfair for me to point out because the entire team was bad defensively last year with a few exceptions that we'll get to here in a minute. But you've got to create a defensive scheme that put guy that puts guys like Deadman and, and and Bagley and Giles in certain spots when Ariza plays the guy he's guarding in that direction. When you go back and you watch tape of him in Washington tape, because you know it's 1982. When you go back and you watch video of of Trevor Ariza in Washington, uh, you see him forcing players in certain directions. You don't see him playing that lockdown style of defense that you saw in the Western Conference Finals or that you saw uh, with him as a member of the Los Angeles Lakers or even for the Houston Rockets in that matter. But you do see him forcing guys in certain direction. Now, I don't know the game plan. I don't know the game plan for the Washington Wizards, and I don't know if he's forcing them in the direction that he's supposed to. In most cases, if he was, his confidence wasn't, you know, his confidence in his teammates was not rewarded. But that's what happens when you're on a, hor- a terrible team. The Washington Wizards were terrible last year. And, but, but you see him, you don't see him playing that, that lockdown style of defense. You don't see him playing that, you know, I guess the best example is Patrick Beverly. You, you don't see him doing that. And I don't think Trevor Ariza can stay in front of guys like he used to. Which, again, at 34 years old, it's, it's hard to blame him for that. So what I'm saying is maybe we should temper our expectations when it comes to Trevor Ariza and defense. I don't think we have to temper our expectations when it comes to Trevor Ariza and basketball IQ. And this is where the wild card that Aaron Bruski was referring to comes in in terms of Luke Walton is what is their approach defensively? Because if it's just, okay, De'Aaron made a big jump from year one to year two, both offensively and defensively. And again, we'll get to more on that in just a minute. And we've got a reason there now. We know Corey Joseph is a 100% hustle guy. Okay, we've got this laid out. The best defender on the floor is probably Harrison Barnes, probably. All right, now we've, we've, we've got something here defensively. I don't think you can just ride on that. I don't think you could just ride on, well, we've got guys who are known for defense and expect them to play great defense headed into 2019. And in Harrison Barnes' case, and really in Trevor Ariza's case, later in their careers. I think De'Aaron is on the verge of being a lockdown defender because of his speed. 
and we'll, we'll, well, let's hit the pause button there and let's go to Corey Joseph. Corey Joseph, 26 years old, or 27 years old, excuse me. When the Kings signed him and you read about him, you kept seeing a different version of the phrase, he gets after it every single play. You, you kept seeing some different version of that. He's a hustler. He's a grinder. You kept hearing about how Kings fans were going to love him because from what it sounds like, and again, watching, watching video on him, Corey Joseph is the type of player that Kings fans are going to fall in love with. He's the Quincy AC guy. He's the guy who is diving on the floor. He is the guy who is getting both hands on the ball. He's the guy who's scrumming for a jump ball. He's the guy that's doing that. That doesn't mean he's a great defender. That means he's a valuable asset out there on the floor. And I wonder if guys like Corey Joseph and Trevor Ariza being on the floor together are good. I, I, I don't know that that's the ideal defensive combination for the Sacramento Kings because think about what I just said. If Trevor Ariza is beating guys with his IQ or attempting to beat guys with his IQ, and he's attempting to force guys in certain directions, and you have a guy like Corey Joseph who is just all out every play, he's not necessarily the type of player who's going to be patient and wait for an offensive player to come in his direction. He seems like the type of guy who's going to jump. He's either going to jump the ball, he's going to jump the screen, he's going to jump everything to try to make a play for the Sacramento Kings. Which, again, that's fantastic. That's what Kings fans are going to love. But that doesn't do Trevor Ariza any favors. And Dwayne Dedman and, and Rashawn Holmes, wherever he, you know, wherever he winds up fitting into the rotation, they're a little bit easier to evaluate because they have legs on the defensive end. Something that Willie Cauley-Stein did not. And it was a conversation that we had a lot last year. It seems like Willie Cauley-Stein could jump out of the gym on the offensive side of the floor, but on the defensive side of the floor, he couldn't jump over a dime. He didn't get after those rebounds. Go watch some film on Dwayne Dedman. He's another guy that Kings fans, I think, are going to love because of his, his hustle. And Kings fans love guys that work, even if you're not very good. You'll get cheered night after night at the Golden One Center if you work. Now, Dwayne Dedman's a good ball player. Rashawn Holmes is a worker. Corey Joseph is a worker. Those, those are the additions. I don't know if, if it's... I don't know that the Kings are that much better defensively. At least not from those additions on their own. Now, let's look at who's already here. Buddy is a better than decent defender. I think Buddy could probably be a, a really, really good defender. And I think De'Aaron Fox showed moments. I think De'Aaron Fox showed stretches of brilliance as a defender. My former colleague, uh, Doug Christie, color analyst for, for the Sacramento Kings, day after day after day, he would rave about De'Aaron Fox defensively. And you know what? You know, you know, no one's paying closer attention to defense than Doug Christie. He is the defender when it comes to Sacramento. He is the guy that you go to to have conversations about defense. And he would say every year, I, De'Aaron Fox better get on a, a, a all-NBA defensive team. Like, he's that good. And I think that's how the season started. And we all know how the season kind of, kind of dwindled down for, for the Sacramento Kings. But De'Aaron had stretches, particularly early in the season, where he was brilliant on that side of the ball. 
And if those stretches now could become a season where he's brilliant on that side of the ball, then then we're talking a game changer. Bagley and Giles, they both struggled defensively. Um, and I don't know if we can, I don't know that it's fair to say, well, that's okay. It was their rookie year. Let they, let's see if they make the same jump that De'Aaron Fox did. I don't think the jump that De'Aaron Fox made from year one to year two, that's not normal. That's why it was so extraordinary. That's why so many people were talking about him. Hell, that's why so many people are still talking about him now. That's why all of the people at USA Basketball are raving about him. That's that that quantum leap that he made is not normal. So to expect Marvin Bagley and Harry Giles to make that, I think is a bit silly. The one thing that I think Bagley really has going for him is that I'm still a bit unclear what the hell Dave Yeager thought of Marvin Bagley. And to me, heading into this season, there's no question what Marvin Bagley's place is on this team. He's a starter. He's a 30-plus minute a night guy. And I've talked about it, and a number of uh, Sacramento Kings writers and bloggers, and I'm sure podcasters have talked about it as well. When Marvin Bagley plays over 30 minutes, he puts up DeMarcus Cousins' numbers. He's 22 and 12 when he plays 30 minutes. It's math. Like, there's no arguing it. Like, it's there. The win-loss total? Eh, it's not so much there, but I think it's a bit unfair to put that on Marvin Bagley playing 30-plus minutes. But can he be a little bit better defensively? And Kings fans, I mean, you guys don't need to be reminded of the I, I love that I say you don't need to be reminded of, and then I'm going to remind you of the blown lead against Brooklyn in the game against Phoenix. I think that was a 19-point blown, blown lead. My goodness, the season finale against Portland was a disaster. And I think one of, you you know, because if you win games like that, like so I just named three games right there. What was it, 28 points against Brooklyn? That was the D'Angelo Russell game. It was 19 against Phoenix. I don't remember what it was against Portland, but I remember Portland's run to close the game was something disgusting. It was like 77 to like 30 something or 40 something. Like it was gross. Those three games right there. You're an above 500 team. All of a sudden you're 42 and 40 with those three wins. That's not good enough for the playoffs last year. But still, 39 versus 42. And one of the most common questions when talking about a team that have, or at least in this case, they're expected to still have an explosive offense is, can you have an explosive offense? Can you have a group of guys that go 150 miles an hour on the offensive side of the ball and still play defense? Can they even play adequate defense? Like, if I were to ask you the question, and by the way, I, I didn't do a good job of mentioning this in episode number one, but you can text the show anytime you want to. I got a text line set up on my phone, and you can reach out to me whenever you're listening to this, 916-888-5898. On our daily sports show, we call it the 24-7 text line, and that's very much what it is. No matter when you're listening to this, even if you're in the graveyard shift, Getting caught up on your Sacramento Kings news, text this number, 916-888-5898. Let me know what you think about the podcast, uh, and let me know what you think about some of the different subjects that we're talking about here. But I'll ask you now, what kind of defense do the Sacramento Kings need to play to increase their win total if 
they keep their same offense. So we look at it and say, okay, these Sacramento Kings, they have, they have an explosive offense. Let's say they have a, let's say they have a top 12 offense in terms of pace, points per game. What kind of defense do they need to play? Because the Sacramento Kings, as we know them, and Luke Walton as a professional basketball coach, has never cracked the top 20. And last year, what, what I said it to start the show, what were they ranked last year? 23? 26, my goodness, excuse me. They were ranked 26 last year. Luke Walton was ranked 21st with the Los Angeles Lakers. Do they have to... They obviously have to crack the top 20, but do they have to crack the top 15? I mean, they crack the top 10. They're, they're a lock for the playoffs, at least in my opinion. If you have, if you have an explosive offense and a top 10 defense, you're, you're going to the playoffs. You're probably winning 50-plus games, especially if you have that type of defense in the Western Conference. But as I really started to evaluate laying out this, this conversation here, I started to look at the Sacramento Kings acquisition and our belief that they had gotten better defensively. And then I just, I hit the pause button on all of my feelings because I wasn't confident that that was true. But we'll see. We'll see. These, the, the younger players, it feels like Harrison Barnes is the best defender on the team. It feels like Trevor Ariza is brought in to be a defensive player. In my opinion, if the Kings are going to have a greater success than they did last year, if the Kings are finally going to finish above 500, and if the Kings are going to be contesting for a playoff spot during that final brutal stretch of their schedule, none of those guys should be the best defender. It's got to be De'Aaron. It's got to be Buddy. It's got to be Bagley. Harrison, he's a starter, so I, I guess it could be him as well. But if De'Aaron becomes a lockdown defender, hmm. And you always hear, like, I think, uh, who said this the other day? It was Kimball Walker. Kimball Walker was talking about De'Aaron Fox, talking about, oh, once he develops, I think he was talking about a mid-range jump shot or something, or three, I don't remember. He was talking about something on the offensive end. It's like, once he develops that, it's over. Like, it's a wrap. It's done. I'm looking at it like, oh, I mean, that's great. But isn't it a wrap if he becomes a, a great defender? Because he's already good offensively. If he becomes a, a great defender... I'll echo those sentiments and say that it's a wrap. And we'll transition from there as you think about, you know, where the Sacramento Kings have to finish defensively uh, to, to increase their win total next year. We'll transition as we were talking about Kimball Walker. And the praise continues to come in uh, for De'Aaron Fox as ESPN uh, just did an article on many of the veterans and coaches praising De'Aaron Fox, talking about he is the next guy. He is the next big point guard in the NBA and this all comes on the day that the the USA basketball national team, the uh, the U.S. national team, they have a disastrous start to practice in Los Angeles. And NBA Twitter went nuts when the media was let in, and the media saw that the the pool of players that are going to be picked to go play in the FIBA World Cup were losing to the Jeff Van Gundy All Stars made up of, uh, you know, some NBA guys and a bunch of G League guys, 36 to 17. It got progressively worse because, of course, doom and gloom came about when those tweets were coming out from the media and the, the media that were in attendance and, oh, this team is going to finish last in the FIBA World Cup. Oh, bronze medal, here we come. You saw all of that, the whole just array of things. And somehow it managed to get worse when we found out that wasn't the only game the select team lost. 
the Jeff Van Gundy All-Stars beat them twice. It's just the media didn't see the first one. And so I asked, very sarcastically, as I'm sure you all picked up on, what does this mean for Harrison Barnes and De'Aaron Fox and your Sacramento Kings? And it means absolutely nothing. Fox wasn't even on the floor. He wasn't even in the game uh, when the media was let in in that 36-17 to 17 beating. Uh, he was on the floor with Kyle Kuzma. He was on a different court with Kyle Kuzma, Joe Harris, Miles Turner, Jalen Brown. They were walking through uh, some other plays. Now, whether he was involved in the first game, I assume he was. But I asked someone who was there for the entire practice how De'Aaron and Harrison Barnes did. And the answer was pretty simple. When you have a practice that bad, no one stands out. Nothing looks good. So whether De'Aaron had a good practice or a bad practice, it, it didn't matter. It was drowned out by the fact that the USA select team was so bad, it just encompassed the whole team. And I'm not... I'm not I'm not concerned about the FIBA World Cup. I actually feel bad for these guys because I think they're in a really tough position. I think they'll go on to do just fine. They're going to play Spain uh, in an exhibition game, depending on when you're listening to this. That game is happening on Friday. Uh, Most people that I talk to, and, and of course this could be a reaction, and this is from people who saw the practice. It could be a reaction to that practice. They're not going to win that game. And, of course, that's going to set USA basketball all in its feelings. And I feel bad for the 12 guys that get selected. I think this is a great experience for De'Aaron. I think it's a great experience for Harrison Barnes. He's obviously been there before. But it's a tough spot for them because you've got everything to lose and nothing to gain. Like, if they lose the FIBA World Cup, it's like, well, they lost. Of course, LeBron's not there. James Harden's not there. All of these guys, they couldn't get it done. Like they need the big guns to come in and, and, and represent USA, and then you're going to see an overhaul headed into the 2020 Tokyo Games. But if they win, guess what? Nobody cares. It's the FIBA World Cup. How many people actually knew there was a FIBA World Cup? Not a FIFA World Cup, but a FIBA World Cup. I don't think any. I don't think anybody did. We know the world championships are out there. Obviously, Olympic gold medals are counted. Those are prestigious. How many FIBA World Cups does LeBron have? As a matter of fact, who was on the last FIBA World Cup team? Does anybody know? Probably not. Probably not, man. So these guys are in a tough spot, but I wouldn't put too much into uh, that disastrous practice. I would just uh, continue to see the articles that are written about De'Aaron Fox and the praise that continues to come out of other uh, NBA stars there that are talking about this young man and the uh, incredible future that he has in front of him. Again, thank you for uh, listening to today's show. Hopefully you subscribe to this podcast. Hopefully you dig what we're doing here on HoopBall.com. Again, uh, all love to DeMarcus Cousins, man. Hope he can get healthy. Hope he can get back. Uh, Hope he can uh, be a dominant ball player. Oh, you know what? Uh, another note here, if you have time, go check out The Undefeated. Uh, is the 30th anniversary of the suicide of Ricky Barry. I was really young when that happened, and he was the 18th overall pick for the Sacramento Kings in the 1988 draft. Obviously, it's, it's a story that's very familiar with Kings fans, whether you were alive or at the time or the not because it's, or, or not because it's, so, it's so kind of ingrained in, in the history of the franchise. And Mark Spears wrote a, uh, a fantastic column uh, that I encourage you uh, to go check out. I remember, what I remember most about that, again, I was, I had just turned, just turned nine years old, 30th, yeah, I just turned nine years old. 
And the thing I remember the most was Jerry. I, I, for some reason, and I maybe it was just because I've always been an emotional guy and I kind of react to emotion. And I, I don't know why I remember this so vividly, but I remember Jerry trying to read the statement and not being able to do it and getting really emotional and walking away. I remember that so vividly. But if you were a Kings fan and you were alive at the time, you uh, you very much uh, remember this moment in Kings history. And, and if you weren't, go read about it. Uh, it's a dark part of the Kings history, but it is part of the franchise history. So go check that out again. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being a part of this journey that we got here with the Sacramento Kings podcast. Go check out hoopball.com, all the fantastic things that they got going on over there. Uh, Subscribe. We drop two new episodes each and every single week. And if you wouldn't mind, it takes a split second to rate this show on Apple Podcasts. Just while you're there, you're pulling up the podcast, hit the five stars. We would greatly appreciate it. If you have an extra 60 to 90 seconds where you can leave us a written review, uh, that would be even better. A tremendous start to this podcast. Can't thank you enough. And those ratings and reviews are super important. Make sure you tell all of your friends about the podcast here as the season gets closer and closer. We're talking Sacramento Kings here on hoopball.com. You got any thoughts or feedback on the podcast? Send them to our 24-7 text line at 916-888-5898. I'm Damian Barlings. Thank you so much for tuning in here to the Sacramento Kings podcast presented by Hoopball. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.